the South is east of Texas, and Texas is, well, in Texas. So, I just want to clear that up for you. You know, people say, oh, I hear you're from the South. It's like, no, 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 I'm from Texas. And it's not like you guys. You know, you say you're from Cincinnati, but you're from Kentucky. <laughs> I only made one little bit. Now, my home group is the primary purpose group in Beach and Austin, and, and uh, you know, it's amazing. We study the big book line by line, word by word, week after week. We've been doing it for almost nine years now. We have 225 people at that meeting. Isn't that unbelievable? Studying the big book. I mean, it's like the big book is coming back into the A. You know, that's pretty exciting because there was a time I, I couldn't care less. It wasn't, it wasn't that I was for it or against it. It was just, well, it's elementary. You know what I mean? And today, that's not the way I look at it. As a matter of fact, I understand today that every answer to every problem I have is in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'm saying that 30 years sober. And I didn't believe that for the longest time. Like, I, I always thought it was just kind of elementary deal. Um, I also have two kids. My oldest is 35 and my youngest is 25. I have three grandchildren, which I think grandkids have got to do over. Are you with me on that one? Oh, my God. I love it. I swear, my oldest grandson is eight. He's like, Grand, can I have a popsicle before dinner? I'm like, that's great. <laughs> Run with the scissors, baby. I don't care. I mean, I, I am not doing that anymore. My youngest is three. And, and uh, I have a, a very fast car. I like to drive very fast. I just got off probation for my last ticket about nine days ago. And uh, I like to drive very fast. And my grandson, did, I get him in the front seat, and, uh, and he always goes, go fast, Graham, go fast. You know, like, we go in your stomach kind of drops. You know, I got to look around and everything. And uh, so my son called me. He goes, uh, mother, a writer said, Danny, Go fast like Graham. Throw me under the bus, dude. Come on. Oh, but I'm just, I'm crazy about my grandkids. I, 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 just, I just love it. And, and you know what? I tell you, one of the things today that I understand, uh, my position, my position here is to have a message of depth and weight. I do, I do have the facts about myself, and I believe that I can carry a message of alcoholics and honest. There was a time in AA, I really didn't know what to tell the new guy after I had been. I'd been going to meetings for a long, long time. I'd sat in the rooms of alcoholics and honest, but if you weren't brand new, I was just like, quit drinking. And today I understand that because it's woefully insufficient for the guy. I realize I am a vessel to get you connected to the power. I'm not the power, trust me. But I am the vessel to get you connected. My message is a message of death and weight. I am armed with the facts about myself. I love studying the big book. Oh, my God. If you haven't read the book in a while, you're going to be shocked what's in there. <laughs> Shocking. Especially if you're, if you're, if you'll be an alcoholic, you read something, you go, well, there it is. That's what I've been doing. I mean, it's unbelievable. And, uh, but, okay, let's get out of this thing. You know, I, I, my qualifications, I make them really simple. When I start, I can't stop, and I can't stop starting. That's my drinking. That's my drinking in a nutshell. I'm a woman. I drank. I know pitiful, incomprehensible demoralization. I took a child through all of that. My story's horrific, and there you have it. I'm alcoholic. Now, what I like to talk about is 30 years in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I'll tell you, that is harder than so getting sober. That is harder than the drinking days. I found that staying sober was not an easy task. Living in this world without alcohol. See, I had no idea that alcohol was the solution 
to my problem. I thought alcohol was the problem. So I thought AA was about not drinking. Now, don't get me wrong. It's very important we not drink. We do have that down, right? <laughs> very important. But what I thought it was is I thought not drinking was the finish line. And ask yourself, did you think that too? I really did. I believed not drinking was the finish line. And when I got sober, it was in the 80s. Oh, my God, what color is your parachute? You know? And uh, it was all about codependency, recovery therapy, and finding your inner child, and really getting in touch with that inner child. And I walked into AA, and he said that's what we were supposed to do. That's what we were supposed to do. And so that's what I did. And then I thought that church was about finding God and understanding it. So AA is about not drinking. Codependency recovery therapy is about learning about yourself and or life lessons. And church was about finding God. Wow, did I have it wrong. Now, nobody told me that. That's just what I thought. So I ended up, um, you know, doing the not drinking things. I had no idea, guys, that this deal is so much bigger and not drinking. As a matter of fact, I did the, the, the important things you do when you come into the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous and you stop drinking and you do your inventory. You make your amends. My amends were that tornado amends, right? The one for the, about the 10 or 15 people close to me that I really hurt. I didn't go to all people I had harmed. I didn't do any of that. And I'm telling you what, I was amazed before I was halfway through. Felt pretty good. Like the book promises me, right? And then the next thing you know, I'm, I'm, I'm helping others. And I don't realize I've left out the most important step I think is well overlooked is the 10th step. I thought the 10th step was an evening review. I had no idea it was a spot check inventory taken throughout the day. There's so much in the book of big, the big book of alcohol and synonymous, I just didn't know. And so then I'm, I'm at codependency recovery therapy. My God, I did it for 10 years group therapy. Come on, let me see a show of hands. Who else did it? I wasn't alone in that. Oh, thank you. God love you. We can go down in a group right here and get in touch with that inner child. I'm like, that's big. And, uh, and that's just what we did. You know what I mean? And let me tell you something. It taught me how to, to set boundaries, and it taught me how to detach. And today I understand in the big book it doesn't say that anyway. Matter of fact, that's the absolute opposite of what I'm supposed to do. And I didn't get it. I caused a lot of rift between my family and myself. And then I did the church thing. And, and nothing against the church thing, nothing at all. But you'll see that that's why I went to go try to find the God of my understanding. And, and I'll tell you guys something. It's interesting in the book. This is just a big book of first 164 pages and the traditions. But it says in here, Roland Hazard's story says something very interesting. <clears throat> it's about, you know, when I, I chose church. I just always lean towards Western religion. You know, if yours was Eastern, you know, the, the, sitting on the, the temple in the mosque, I guess, or whatever. Ashramish thing, you know, whatever it is, the Tupac Oprah and the whatever, whatever. You know, that's your deal and my deal was the other, you know, so be it. But um, I, I find it very interesting in what Roland Hazard, you know, when Roland Hazard had met Carl Jung, Carl Jung had told him he needed this vital spiritual experience. And said, upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary spiritual experience. 
So I, I couldn't tell you, I'm going to have to hard way to you. And that's nothing about, you know, go to church, don't go to church. That's not what the point is. The point is I was looking in all the wrong places. See, I'm a seeker. I seek everything. I mean, I like to seek the drugs that made you go elsewhere. You know, I love the alcohol that got you high enough. I love everything. But I'm telling you something about that. When I got sober and you take all that away from me, man, I am looking desperately for something. And that's what the book's always talking about. I was driven as a child. I was third born. I was born in the 50s. I had an older sister, older brother. I was the baby. And, uh, you know, my, my mom was a stay-at-home mom. My dad was the working guy. He'd been an NFL football player. So we had that whole world going on. Lots of drinking in my house. I mean, lots of drinking in my house. And it was fun. I'll tell you something. Smoking cigarettes and drinking looked like a ton of fun in my family. And uh, but one of the things I can tell you is I, I never didn't feel like I fit in. I just felt like I had to be in front of everybody all the time. I didn't realize that I didn't feel like I fit in. I was the one who was in front of you. I was in your face. I was driving you crazy. I was absolutely driven as a kid. And then all of a sudden, it just felt like it was overnight. My dad comes in and says, your mother died. I mean, overnight, she had some kidney illness, and the next thing you know, she's gone. I'm eight years old, and, and, I, and I don't know what to do. And my father, at that point, I can tell you today, looking back at all this, I understand my dad was so lost. He had these three small kids, eight, nine, and 12. He didn't know what to do with them. And so, you know, he got married to kill this three times in 18 months. <laughs> Clearly, see, he was a player. <laughs> and, uh, you know, clearly looking for a mom, for us. But, I mean, you know, the man could, the man could commit to a deal. You know, that's pretty impressive. He could land it, he just couldn't keep it. You know, well, the first mom uh, lasted a weekend. She, she was in, and this is your mother, and she's out. Uh, and the next one lasted for about two months, and then the last one, you know, was my, my stepmom for, for until the day my dad died. And, uh, but I can tell you something. I had always, by the time I got to the room with alcohol Thomas, I would have swore to God that my mother died and made me alcoholic. I think everybody comes to the rooms with alcohol Thomas trying to figure out why we're alcoholic. You know, you may say that you didn't, but I think there's something that said, why me? Why not my sister? Why not my mother? What happened to me? Did something happen to me that made me alcoholic? And I really thought it was because my mom died. And today what I understand is I understand that those three mothers coming through my life and everything that happened in my life as a child is, is what influenced my old ideas, the third column of a four-column inventory. I've got so many beliefs about uh, women, men, marriage, children, you name it, I got it. And watch out, boy, it'll shift on you, it'll change on you. It, it, it's, it's, it's off the charts. One day it's this, the next day it's that. You know, I am just wishy-washy. But I do love inventory. I like to do a lot of inventory. I like to read a lot of inventory. I like to hear a lot of inventory. Because what I begin to realize is these old ideas, the best person in the world to uh, learn old ideas from is you. Oh, listen, your inventory and a ton of old ideas about me. It's amazing how that works. That's why one drunk talking to another is miraculous. Not just about our drinking. It's about our thinking. You know, we are outright middle defects. Full point from reality and can't differentiate the truth from the false. I'm like, whoa! 
up when I heard that, I thought, God, I love that. I can breathe a little deeper. I thought there was something really wrong with me, you know? And I mean, that's, that's what the whole deal's about. You know, my thinking is so self-centered. You know, we joke a lot in AA about, we say things like, uh, oh, you know, it's all about me. Oh, my God. The depth of that, the depth of my shallowness shocks me. What this thing thinks and you never know, sometimes I find myself doing this. And nothing even came out. I'm not kidding you guys. I walk into a grocery store and I'm like, oh man, she seems to condition that hair. And then I'm walking by, I'm thinking, make that kid sit down and shut up over there. And who left her part? Who left her part right there? I mean, it's like I am the sheriff of the world. And but now, sometimes you may notice that, and sometimes you may never notice that. It's, it's, it's hit or miss, man, hit or miss. So I'm eight years old, and, you know, I am trying to get adjusted to all these women. We had, we not only did I have the three mothers, but I had four live-in housekeepers. So seven women came to my world in an 18-month period, and I was about up to here with it all. And by the time I found that drink at 12 years old, oh, my God. You know, when we say that drink did something for us, today I understand what that is. It calmed the beast of how self-centered I am. You know, we call it anxious, anxiety, fear. We just, you take that drink, all of a sudden I am everything I thought I'd be because I'm so self-centered. And I didn't get that. I always thought self-centered meant stingy and conceited. It means I don't think too much of myself or too little of myself. All I think about is myself. Everything filters through me. How's the lighting? This side of the room is bigger than this side of the room. Why aren't we two feet over this way? You know what I mean? I mean, I'm sorry, you, you name it. I can just sit here and rattle off what my head says, and you'll love me just for what that is. You know? But so I, uh, um, so I, I find this drink, and as, as life goes, you know, it's, it's, it's not easy to drink uh, as a 12-year-old. You can only raise your parents' booze so much. I had a lot of experience with outside issues. Of course, they were a little easier to get. But uh, what we did is, you know, we did what, what any little girls will do, is you ride a little swing white down to the 7-Eleven, and you sit in front of the 7-Eleven, and you wait for the creepy guy to pull up, and you get him to buy him some booze. And everybody, every, I swear the girls always said, here we go. Oh, God, I forgot about the creepy guy. <laughs> yeah. And you have to wait for the right one, man. And, he, and I always thought he was 100, but he was, he was probably... But, uh, so I'm 12, and so we're on our swing. We're not like the Girl Scouts selling cookies. Don't get me wrong. We're already a little seasoned, if you know what I mean. And so we're sitting there, and the guy's saying, can you go buy some booze? And he goes, I certainly can. And then, you know, when he comes out, he's kind of wanting to play with us, right? He's ready to go. And the truth of the matter is, we jump on our bikes and head for the woods, and the, the toughest thing is to lose creepy guy. You know, I mean, the biggest deal, biggest deal with a creepy guy, it's like trying to flick a booger off your finger, man. You got to keep, 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 going, going. Hallelujah. And, uh, but, but I'll tell you something, guys. You know, one of the things that, that, that I just love the best about talking about creepy guy is he's in the room right now. You know that. <laughs> Every once in a while, he'll raise his hand. 
say it. I, I, I can walk in an AA meeting and go, he's creepy. He's creepy. And, and, and at the same time, guys, I love it because sometimes the, the women at AA will go, oh, he's bothering me. I go, woman, tell him. For God's sake. He's a sober member of Alcoholics Anonymous, ladies. See you now. Get back off, dumb, dumb. You know what I mean? I mean, if you're, you know, if I, I'm a hugger. I grew up in AA as a hugger. Man, I'll hug you. But if you, you, you do the squeeze wrong, I'll push you away that fast. You will know clearly that doesn't fly. So I, I encourage your women to do the same thing. Um, I also was a, was a, I was an amazing cheater in school. You know, I've got to tell you guys something. I, uh, I, I, have, I have very little education. I have a high school diploma I'm quite proud of. I learned nothing. Okay, nothing. And, um, and I'm kind of proud of that. You know, like I said, you know, I went out to Ohio, Kentucky, didn't even know it was close. You know, I thought Ohio was in Chicago. Okay, so I'm, you know, geographically very, very challenged. Charlie and I are in New York, and, and he, he's walking along, and he, I'm married into a, a whole family of educators, which is so painful. Oh, oh they just think that they can conform me, you know, drink the kundalini, come on. And I don't, I don't like museums, I don't care about art, I don't like history. Bob Dylan should write songs, I'm sorry. Okay, that's my opinion. And, and Charlie is his family, his kids were in New York and we're walking along. And, and he says, you know, Kate, he says uh, something about the Nile River out the window, you know. And, and a little while later he goes, honey, that was the Erie Canal I was talking about. Whatever, not Whatever. Yeah, and I, I just, I mean, I'm telling you guys, I was an amazing cheater. And, and I got all the way through school on cheating. I mean, I'm breaking into the school, I'm doing all kinds of stuff. But I got through school, I was absolutely driven to get that diploma. And I got to tell you, I left home at 15 years old. My dad and I had this huge fight. And, and he said, listen, if you can't live under the rules of this house, you're out. And I guarantee he never thought I'd stay out. The level of pride this alcoholic has is unbelievable. It even shocks me sometimes. And I mean, I'm out, I'm out of here, and I'm going to continue to get that diploma because I'm going to prove to my dad I'm something. And I mean, you can't imagine how difficult it was for 15. I didn't even have a car yet. I mean, I'm riding a bicycle. I'm going to do everything. My parents live about 45 minutes away. God, you think I need that chili? Like, I think you breathe on me too much. Um, but, uh, oh, it was bad. So, um, but I'm sitting there, and, I, and I'm going to get through school, and I'm going to make this happen, and all of this stuff, and I, I, I can tell you one thing. I got through school, and I knew I wasn't stupid. I just don't like school for me. This is not for you. This is for me. If alcoholism robbed you of your education and you want to go back and get an education, what power to you? I have no interest in going back to school. I drive by a college and it looks like a prison. I swear to God. Oh, I don't want to go in there. You know, and Charlie goes, oh, God. You know, and, and there's, there's a guy that was in our meeting and he was from Norway. And, Oh my God, I'm standing with a sponsor who's equally as, as um, uh, poorly educated as I am. And she says, um, is, he, is he from Norwegian? And I said, Billy, he is Norwegian. Come on. <laughs> about eight people standing around, you know, and they're like, what happened there? I'm like, oh, no. We both blew it, you know. I'm visiting my daughter out in Seattle. We're 
look at all the Puget Sound, you know, this was a couple of years ago, and I said, hey, I'm a little fatigued. I said, what's the altitude? <laughs> she goes, mother, this is sea level. <laughs> and I said, but that is not great here. She said, you have to be on the mountain. <laughs> I got it. I got it. Okay. I guarantee somewhere in the sixth grade they were teaching it at MCC. I mean, I just, and I love the inventory process for that, guys, because I did an inventory because it seemed when I got sober, everybody was going back to school. And I thought, well, should I go back to school? I mean, these are big decisions. And I got to think about something. When you're in early sobriety, I, I prefer a sponsor not to tell me what to do. Don't, don't tell me to go back to school. It, there's some dangerous things as sponsors we can tell somebody. Because when I did the inventory process, what I came out with is that I would have only gone back to school to prove to you I wasn't stupid when I already knew I wasn't stupid. I just wasn't educated. And I ended up having an incredibly successful business for 30 years. Of course, I had to be self-employed because it's a little easier to get a raise when you don't have an education. And, uh, but uh, I made a ton of money. I traveled the world, and I spoke. I was in the fitness business, and I spoke on marketing with no education. So don't underestimate that. Be sure you do plenty of inventory before you decide to go on so that you've got some information to take to God. And it says there in the 11th step, when you face indecision, you ask him for a meditation, for a thought or decision, and then throughout your day, you call someone agitated or doubtful. Gosh almighty, how many times are we doubtful? Should I move? Should I stay? Which job should I take? God will tell you in that still, quiet voice if you seek it. If you don't go to him and you go to a human being, be very, very careful. You don't want me managing your life. I can assure you of that. You know what I mean? I try to sometimes. But it, it's never a very good deal. Um, now, I can tell you, I ended up, uh, I, I, I chased a boy into the room of Alcoholics Anonymous. And I've got to say, I don't really care how you get here. But once you get here and you get qualified to find out that if you are, in fact, alcoholic, right, that's very important. And they say, you don't get here by mistake. Bullshit. <laughs> you darn sure do get here by mistake. You know how you can get here? The judge can tell you to come. You can get a DWI from the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. And if somebody doesn't explain the allergy and the mental obsession to you, you may not be one of us. You may have had some bad luck. You may have gotten behind the wheel of a car and gotten a DWI. That does not make you alcoholic, right? Nod your head. Yes, yes. Yes, yes. Be with me on this. Be my friend. What was it? Was this bullshit? Okay, I'll stop that. Um, I know we're a bunch of alcoholics, but every once in a while we get a little straight, don't we? <laughs> well, I, and, so, and so I didn't get that. So thank God when I came to the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, I chased a boy in. He had six years sober. He kept telling me, oh, Katie, this is all wrong, man. you got ten minutes, and this is me as a woman in AA. Angie, how are you, girl? I knew I was in your neck of the woods. So, the, the, you know, I, this is the boy. He's six years sober on ten minutes, and what do we do? Come to the light. Come to the light. He goes, this is all wrong. Come. No. It's like fishing. Slowly breathing in. 
thing you know, man, I booked him. And I mean, he is in, he knows it's wrong. Next thing you know, I'm sitting at his feet, he's reading me the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. Oh my God! I am dying and going to heaven, man. It was great. It was fabulous. And I gotta tell you, it really was. We were married for 20 years. And, and it was a really amazing journey. And he had the same sobriety date I had six years ahead of me. And that's why 30 years was a big deal. I hope I get to get to that later. But we're so we're too long, AA, and I love it. I fell in love with the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. How many of you guys did? How many of you guys walked in here and went, oh, my God, I'm home? Do you know how lucky we are? There are so many people that walk into AA and hate it. They hate the fact that they got to even be there. Man, I, I love it. It's such a vision for you that the meetings and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous are a replacement for alcohol. Oh, my gosh. I mean, I love to drink and party. I love getting my drink on, man, every chance I got. I was probably about 21 when I realized I couldn't stop drinking. I knew there was something wrong, but I didn't quit for another five or so years. And I really believe that I'm not chased that boy in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous. I probably would have gotten chased in here by child protective services because that little girl was not being taken care of. Not at all. But back in the 80s, it wasn't a big deal. Today it's a bigger deal. But back then, it was not a big deal. Well, at about three years sober, Joe is teaching me how to do everything. Be of service, you know, pick up tables, chairs, ashtrays, greet. Go to uh, conferences on chair at a conference at two years sober, about 1,500 people. I mean, I have just missed AA. And at about three years sober, something happened. And I remember I thought Alcoholics Anonymous was about not drinking. And something happened, and I thought I needed more, and I couldn't tell what it was. I'm going doing the co-defensive recovery therapy. And Joe one day says, Katie, let's go to church. And I thought, yeah, that's not it. It's not really church I'm looking for either. I was raised Catholic, nothing against it. It just didn't do anything for me. I mean, once again, I have uh, my biggest you know, job during the Catholic um, Sunday school and, and the church was to flick a booger on your sister, you know, and that's it. And it was, they were speaking English, I mean, Irish or Latin, they were speaking Latin. Oh, yeah, whatever it was, I wasn't getting it. You know, the guys up there you know, doing this number and, you know, whatever. And so I remember thinking, no, I have no interest in going to church. She was doing all I found a non-denominational church. Hey, you're going to love it. And what I didn't realize was happening, guys, is the gifts of sobriety can take us away from Alcoholics Anonymous. I can be actively involved, and then all of a sudden, you guys are just not doing it for me. You know, all of a sudden, my home group, you know, you got old big head, Doug, and Sherry, and Dan and Brian, here he goes, you know, five minutes for the meetings, and then he keeps you hostage for ten after that. You know, and before you know it, I just need something more. And that's what I thought. So, you know, here's my ego's rebuilding. It's going to kill the only thing that's going to save my life. Next thing I know, Joe takes me to this church. And I mean, it was non-denominational church. They had the screens hanging down, and they were just singing. And I mean, I walked in, and I was just vibes, just going. And it called young people, and the next thing you know, man, I became a Jesus. Honey, me and Jesus. Or like that. And, and let me tell you something. One of the things, and, and, and 
funny because, you know, I mean, we're in, we're in Cincinnati. You know, you say this in the Bible Belt of Texas, and it's like, what she said? She said, she said, she mocked you, Jesus? <laughs> oh, my God. Of course not. And I'll always have somebody come up to me and go, you still a believer? It's like, oh, my God, you missed the whole purpose of that. It's, you know, that's the, that's the direction I go. That's the direction I'm like. But what I did is I found Jesus. And I became a Jesus freak, and I felt my mission was to come back and save you even alcoholics, you know? I mean, come on. I was put on this planet to help others, right? Oh, sure. I ran off every AA friend I had. You know the Jesus freak, don't you? Go ahead. Go ahead and look at him now. You're here in this. And uh, the only friend I did not run off was Charlie. Charlie and I were best friends. He, he come in, he, he, it's very important that you know my husband has six months less than I do. <laughs> he, he likes to say it's five and a half months. I'm going with six months. I am now in a, my fourth decade. He is still in his third decade. <laughs> In our house, where he's having trouble, I always tell him, you know what, honey, he'll make more sense in about six months. Just <laughs> but, so, here's what we did. So, we started getting really actively involved in church, and I'm so used to AA, and I am coming way too freely with information in church, if you know what I mean. I mean, they are like, we keep praying for you, Katie, and Joe, okay, you know. And I'm like, oh, you're not going to believe what happened today. And I'm thinking I'm supposed to share, and they really wasn't what they were looking for. But, uh, and the next thing you know, I've always believed that the alcohol is a lot like a chameleon. You know, we take on the color of whatever we're at. I need to be green, I look more green. I need to be brown, I look more brown. You need me at a motorcycle rally, I'm there. You need me to be at PTA. What do you need? And, uh, and the next thing you know, man, John and I, we started looking Amish. He had hair straight as hair to the sun. I mean, he was such a, oh, that was not the boy. But, I mean, it was, you know, I had the glasses and this. I even started wearing underwear. They were changing me. And after about three years, you know, I love it. In the book, it says, for if an alcoholic fails to enlarge his spiritual life, and I thought there was a period there. It says on page 14, for if an alcoholic fails to enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice for others, he cannot handle certain trials and low spots ahead. Now, the work, the way I read the word work, is the steps and helping others, right? Stay close to him, perform his work well. See, I, I was seeking God outside. And what I realized these 12 steps do is they unblock me. So this power is within. It's this consciousness I'm supposed to get touched. I kept thinking about here. I mean, when I got mad at God, I would go, well, show yourself. You know, I mean, it's always so elementary. I mean, we are so immature. Oh, my sponsor loves to use that word with me. It's very immature. There's that word again. I'm 56. But I mean, I can throw down and be 12 like that. Back at you. You're not the boss of me. I dare you. I mean, I just go right to it. You know, I, oh, oh, my God. But so, so after about 
three years in the church thing, Joe and I, we, we, I say to him one day, I go, I, I'm not doing well at all. Now, remember, the gifts have taken me away. Because here's the problem. I always thought it was the outside stuff that was supposed to make me okay. The new car, the new job, the more money, the bigger house, another kid. And you get them, and the shine wears off, man. It just wears off. And then you're sitting there going, what is wrong? What's it going to be? I had no idea. It's an internal condition. I know it's spiritual, but for some reason, I think that means kind of this. I don't realize it means this. And today, I understand that these steps get me unblocked. And then I get in touch with whatever power that is within me. Everybody's individual in that area. Thank God for that in the rooms of Alcoholics So Joe says to me, hey, we need to go back to AA. And I said, you know, we do. Now I have six years. He's about 12 years now. And we come back to our new meeting, and I'll never forget this man. We walked in that new meeting. We saw the faces. And I mean, I was home. I was home. You people are my tribe. You are my people. I never feel any safer than I do in the rooms of alcoholics and honest with drunks. I will always feel that today. And I leaned over to Joe and I put my hand here and I said, I'm going home. And he goes, I know it. And what I didn't know, God, I'd love to tell you, we skipped down the yellow brick road right there and, and everything is not my experience. You know what I mean? And it wasn't right away. But the next thing I know is we entered into what I call meeting-based sobriety. See, I thought meetings treated alcoholism. They don't. Now, don't get me wrong. They're a part of our triangle. They're an important part of your sobriety. These don't treat alcoholism. What treats alcoholism, or what we think does, is the clear-cut directions out of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. I mean, that's why they put it in the book, was to follow these directions every day. So I can either go to church or not go to church. I can go to the ashram or not go to the ashram. But as long as I am doing these 12 steps that keep me unblocked, so that I'm not blocked from the sunlight of the Spirit. Because when we get blocked from the sunlight of the Spirit, we drink again. I mean, the book is so clear on warnings, 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 promises, 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 warnings, warnings. And so what I, got, what I found is I would go to a meeting and I would get relief, but I never got the freedom. And so after about six years of that, and keep in mind, I'm, you know, I'm still staying sober, Joe's staying sober. And what I don't realize is it's kind of like this. I, I didn't understand the book. I didn't pick up the book. I didn't read the book. And all I'm telling you is just, you know, just, just wink at it if you have to. If you're not a book reader, just wink at it. You know, but sometimes people are like, you know, there's people out there always quoting the book and Facebook numbers. I'm like, trust me, I think there's more people not reading the book than are reading the book, if you want to know the truth. You know what I'm saying? Uh, based on my experience in AA, 30 years, and I've got 30 years now, so they of you haven't. Huh? It's a long time because I've been a week to say that. Here in Cleveland. <laughs> I'm sorry, Kentucky. Oh, I know I'm in Cincinnati. Uh, but, and so what I was is I became a slogan slayer, right? Somebody had a problem. I said, turn it over. Just turn it over. You know, give it to God, whatever that looks like. I mean, like, you know, okay. I mean, I just didn't have any of the directions. And if, if, if somebody would come at me and say, Katie, acceptance is the key, it was to me what, what I understand today is they were asking me to work the promises and hope the steps come true. It's the wrong way around. Acceptance is the key is the promise, but I must work the steps to get to it. 
If I don't take down what's objectionable in my life, I've got no work for God at all with me. And so I'm going through all of this, and what I've got is physical sobriety. Physical sobriety looks like recovery. Because remember, I thought it was about not drinking. And the next thing I know, man, my husband gets sick. And it's bad. And now we're into the years of sobriety where we're like 10, 12 years. I am. He's always got six more years than me. And let me tell you something. Have you ever tried to tell somebody with about 10 or 12 years something new? <laughs> I know everything. From about six years on, I know everything. You can't tell me anything. Because my, I, I'm not open to new information. I'm only open to information that we agree on. The rest is of, of no interest. No interest. I won't even consider it. And that's the ego, right? That's the way the ego operates. My pride thinks it's protecting me. Oh, it's trying to kill me. It, 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 it can talk to you in two different ways, at least for me. It talks to me like this. What are you doing here? Or it goes like this. You are so stupid. What were you thinking? It's, just, it, it's either trying to bring me in or just clobber me. One of the two. It, it's tough. Well, Joe gets very, very sick, and we don't know what's wrong with him, but the doctor says he needs extensive testing. And I said, listen, we have catastrophic insurance. We can't afford any sort of testing. It's something in his head. And he said, no, no, he needs extensive testing. And so one of my girls at my meeting says, you know, you ought to become a bus driver. School bus drivers get instant HMOs. Instant. This is, what, 15 years ago? And I said, really? And so this is what I think. Because, see, I am a victim of my own delusion that I can rest satisfaction and happiness if I just manage well. And let me tell you guys, I am a damn good manager. Damn good. Really, if you have a problem, let me tell you that. I, I, am, I am good in the problem area. And, uh, you know, I am going to bring home the bacon and fry it up in the pan trying to get out. What do you need? What do you need? I've spent place. I get stuff done. I am, I am a doer. And, uh, and I can convince anybody. People calls it. My oldest daughter calls it the vortex mother. Don't get close to her vortex. Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Just bring it in. Come. Come. Charlie always tells me, you don't even know where you're going, and you always leave the pack, and people always follow you. <laughs> But I did it on the way over here, but I knew where I was coming. Um, and so, uh, so I end up uh, going down to get this bus job. Now, let me tell you how self-centered I am. You have to self-centered in this. I go to get this bus job, and it's in an affluent neighborhood. You know, they didn't put me on a really tough, so they gave me the hard kids in an affluent neighborhood. <laughs> Whatever. Uh, but, uh, you know, they always say there's drugs in high-end neighborhoods. Yeah, show them to me. I'll scare the crap out of them, you know. But uh, so they, they were going to put me on this. Now, this is what I was going to do. In my mind, I went into this bus yard. I got the job, and I was going to keep the job for about two weeks. I was going to get my husband down to the hospital. We were going to run all the tests, and then I was going to quit. Because, I mean, come on, it's a school district. There are plenty of people who need that job, and that's how I justified it. I didn't see that I was putting them out, that I was wasting their money, that I was introducing myself to these children for only two weeks to only be taken back out of their lives. I didn't consider anything, because I have a limited perspective as an alcoholic. I only think about me and how it affects me. I don't see the effect I have on you until you're pissed off. Right? And then I'm like, what? 
or crying. How do you like that one? You know, or not talking to me. What? I do. And then I'm shocked when you don't. Uh, so, so I go down to get this bus job, and I get it, and the next thing you know, I tell Joe, we have to, the doc told me to just take you to the emergency room. So I'm taking you to the emergency room to get your head scanned. And so we take him into the emergency room. The doctor comes out. And he is, he's just a little too arrogant for me. Are you with me on that one? I mean, somebody can walk in the room, and I just don't like him. I don't even know him. He just walk in. He ain't going like him. I mean, I got no idea. That's just what this thing does. It just spits out information, and I'm just barely a carcass walking around. You know what I mean? It's just having a chat day up there. And uh, this guy walks in. I thought he was a bit arrogant. And, uh, and he starts asking us, so you think it's something in his head? I'm like, yes, it is. And so we go through all this stuff, and I told Joe to lie, you know, on the testing. I said, listen, you are, you are getting that head stamp. So when the guy says, touch your nose, touch your elbow, you know what I mean? Fail the test. And he says, okay, okay. So we go in there, and the guy does it. He goes, touch your nose. And, and Joe looks at me and goes, I'm like, oh, my God, what are you and I'm thinking, oh my God, what the failure, failure right here when I get the test. And the next thing you know, the doctor goes through several things and then he starts adding, asking him to add and Joe can't add. And he says, I'm going to go ahead and scan this. And I thought, well, I'm going to save you 20 minutes, you know, for God's sake, push him in the tube and get it over. <laughs> and, uh, oh, by the way, and you can tell that that is so of my personality. You know what I mean? You know, I never have to worry how I feel. Uh, and so, so the doctor comes back in, and I'll never forget this. We're sitting there, and I'm sitting down, and the doctor puts his hand here, and he goes, my God, he has got a gigantic mass in his head. He says, it's huge. And I remember thinking at that very moment, my God, I'm going to be driving this damn bus forever. <laughs> that was my very first thought. Now, the bad news, guys, welcome to Alcoholics Anonymous. See, you hurt Brett or interfere with me like that. Now, I don't say anything. Nobody knows that was what went off in my head. I didn't look at you and go, oh, great, now i got to drive a stupid bus. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just, I mean, we cried and we held each other and I couldn't believe it, but I'm like, oh, my God. I am a fitness professional. I make a ton of money over here. One paycheck on that bus once was 32 cents. I was paying for medical insurance. And I'm on a bus five hours a day. And it's hot. And those kids are yeah. Oh, my God. Let me tell you something, guys. Have you ever paid school bus drivers? Uh-huh. Yeah. Oh, God love you. Okay, I want the rest of you guys to drive a bus one day. One day. And let me tell you something. Something about that school bus. you got all these kids on there. You can't turn around, by the way. Just F1 eye. You can't do this. Because you go in the ditch. Okay? Your life is the mirror. And everything. Hey, 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 hey.
and I could see him coming, and my stop was pretty far up. And I he just pissed me off, and so I just kicked those reds right over. Just, no stop, no bus stop, no nothing. And I mean, he was like, ah! And he was like, what is that with you? Who's got the power now, big boy? Oh, my God, I was just out of my mind. I mean, I am stark raving sober on that bus, you know? And that bus is my world. Not yes, with my world. You know what I mean? There were these two humps. They were my favorite humps, man. You, you, you could get going fast enough to get that bus airborne, you know? And, and that bus was, I had, I had a gas bus, and it was an older bus, but the diesel buses had a governor on them, and they were no good. You had to be able to go fast. Remember, I like to go fast. And so the kids would be five boys, and they'd always be the last of my route. And it was all boys. And, and they'd say, come on, Miss Kitty, come on, go over the humps fast. And I'd go, guys, I'm getting a ton of trouble. No, I can't do it. I can't do it. Every once in a while, they'd talk to me, and I'd say, okay, fine. And at the end of the two humps was a stop, and you had to take a right. I mean, it was a pretty quick stop. And so they all get to the back, you know, and I'll look at them, and you know, I get the bus, I'm bumming, 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 bumming. Bum, you know, you just take off, and that thing is, woo! And I swear, you look in the mirror, and those kids are like this. <laughs> and I mean, I, I could get in like three, three or five seats. I mean, they could just, pew, over the top of them. And then all of a sudden, you have to hit the brakes. And I, you know, I hit the brakes, and all of a sudden, I hit the brakes. And the kids, I swear, they're like this. <laughs> and I go, what was that? And we get off the bus, and I have blown all four valve stems off the back end of the yeah. Well, I'm in big trouble. Those kids are like rats from a sinking ship. They're out of here, you know? And I am just like, oh, my God. And all of a sudden, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck. We're not going anywhere. Those bell stems are off. I get off the bus radio, and it's like, oh, uh, yeah, you're a bus to base. <laughs> And, and the boss carried a radio here, but base picture, yeah, there's quite a ton of boss base here. I said, man, something happened. I, 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 I no, I get what happened, but I blew all four valve stems off the back end of my bus, and I swear, the boss was, what? You know, and so the next thing you know, here comes the maintenance guy and the boss, and I'm at the bottom of the hump, hump, and this is, this is what i got to tell you guys. I am 15 years sober. Now, people say, well, you know, I don't lie. Oh, yeah, you did. <laughs> so, the boss looks at the wheels and looks up the hill. The maintenance guy does it. I do it. He says, you don't know what happened? No, sir, I do not. And that's that moment that he knows, that I know, that he knows I'm lying. And I'm not coming home. I'm not coming home. I'm, I'm a swear to God. I have no idea what happened because I can't lose that job. See, I have the insurance. I can't lose that job. My husband is a sick man. And I've got to tell you guys, I mean, i got, I got bus story after bus story. And I've I got to tell you one more because my husband always says, you leave one of my favorites out. It was, we were voting one year for a president. And, uh, and I didn't, I, I, I thought, you know what, you're never supposed to get off your bus route. And I thought, you know what, it's three blocks over this land. 
And so all the kids are gone. I'm going to run over there and go vote. And so I run over to vote, and I'm going to run in, and I swear I am standing like this. And I go in there, and I do my voting, and I come back out, and there's about a mile and a half of cars. I have left my red sign. <laughs> now, there's no one in the bus, but nobody is crossing those red. That's a top decoy right there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a day in my life, man. And so, so I, I, what's happening to me, guys, is that I have no idea about this. Now, I've got to tell you something. My husband's great tumor, and he thought it was like, oh, but it wasn't. It was benign. He was going to live, but he was going to have very severe brain damage. And they said he wasn't going to be physically uh, impaired. He was just mentally impaired. And they said, Katie, he will never work another day in his life. Try to accept that one when you're a two-income family and you got a kid in college. I'm like, what? And I mean, I'm a doer, guys. I get out there and I do what i got to do to get what i got to get to make stuff happen. That's not the time for you to say to me, be sure and pray. Whatever. You know what I mean? I've got this. And remember, I'm in, I'm in what I call untreated alcoholism. I haven't done inventory. I haven't had a sponsor. I'm not doing anything. Oh, you okay, baby? Oh, Lord, we got some water up here, too. I got, we're going five meetings a week, but I am not taking a step one. And I'm sponsoring on my head. I've got six sponsees. God knows what I'm telling them. God knows what I'm telling them. I think I'm managing their life. And when I went back to make amends to all of them, they all said, Kitty, you were very helpful. So don't underestimate. I'm not saying untreated alcoholism is bad. Will you end up possibly dying, possibly getting drunk, and possibly staying sober? Yes. Good luck on whichever three you're going to have. I don't know. Because I don't know. But I can tell you, I was in what I call untreated alcoholism. It's not treating my alcoholism with the steps. And I was living in what we call the bedevilment. It's on page 52. They're available in sobriety. It says we were having trouble with our personal relationships. We couldn't control our emotional nature. We were prey to misery and depression. We couldn't make a real living. We had a feeling of uselessness. We were full of fear. The new term is anxiety. Be very careful. We were unhappy. We couldn't seem to be of real help to other people. Guys, when this was going on in my life, I had three blow-in-the-bag anxiety attacks. Three. I've never had an anxiety attack in my life. I absolutely could not believe what was happening to me. And this is where I warn you the biggest. I wasn't going to drink. I would tell people, I'm not going to drink. But what I didn't realize, and I saw a friend do this, they went and had some dental work, something as simple as a root canal. And they went and had a root canal, and it triggered the allergy because they had the malady on the Vicodin. Because when, they, when you go to get a root canal, they say, are you going to need Vicodin? You're like, yes, I am. And you take it, thinking you can instantly take it. And the next thing you know, you're rescheduling more dental work. <laughs> I need all of my teeth root canal. <laughs> all right, darling. And i got to tell you guys, I ended up driving that bus for three years. And the unfortunate part of all of this is in the midst of this, my husband managed to convince a doctor to give him some medication. 
and he triggered the allergy, and he ended up dying at 23 years sober of a heroin overdose. We were married 20 years. We had an amazing life. He had the same sobriety day I had at six years ahead of me. At 30 years sober, I, I couldn't believe. I ended up marrying my best friend, Charlie. Charlie was my best friend. Please come hear him tomorrow at 2. He sees my hero in AA. Love of my life. I never knew I could be so happy, but i got to tell you something. At 30 years sober, this birthday was really tough because Jill was supposed to be alive. We were supposed to have these three grandkids and this family together in that little house we lived in. It never hit me stronger than it did at this sobriety birthday. And at the same time, guys, I'm standing in my home with my husband today, and I'm happy as a clam. I never knew I could be this happy. If you'd have told me when Joe died, watch what God will do with you, Katie. Get into that book. Do the work you need to do and watch what happens. And the next thing you know, man, I, I, I meet a man named Mark Houston. And he absolutely changed Charlie and I's life. I mean, revolutionized our life. You talk about, if you're really hurting and you really mean business, the answer is right there. It's absolutely right there. I always encourage you to get with that person that bugs the crap out of you that's in the book. Just let them take you through the work, for God's sake. You know what I mean? Just long enough to have this awakening, this awareness. I ended up getting this sponsor. She was in untreated alcoholism also. And by this point, you know, we've met Mark, but we're kind of getting our feet wet. I'm not really sure. I have no idea. I look back. I see everything clearly now. And I meet this sponsor, and she's got about five years less than me, and she's not doing well, but she knows my life is on the line. Joe's been dead for 18 months, and I'm in the darkest days of my life, darker than any day drinking, ever. See, alcohol is the solution. It's not the problem. That's why when the pain gets too great, that's what we pick up. Sorry, I'm excited. Although I'm not sweating too bad, right? <laughs> Pretty excited about that. Uh, and so I call Marty, and I'm telling her, you know, Marty, I'm, I'm really in so much pain, and, uh, and it's here. Joe's been gone 18 months. I don't know what to do. Blah, blah, blah. She said, get your book now. Get your book. Well, I find it. And I found it. And uh, that's just never a good sign. Okay. Just FYI, if you really don't know where your book is, you know, ho, ho. Just saying. And uh, so I get the book down. She said, I want you to read pages 60 to 63. And I knew clearly that those pages probably talked about the person who has it a little bit harder than others in the end. And, uh, and I open that book, and it falls open to page 62, and I read selfishness and self-centeredness, and I actually think it's the root of our troubles. And I remember thinking, whatever. And I mean, I pick the phone up, and I call her, and I go, whatever, Marty. I just talked to you for like 30 minutes. I'm crying, I'm losing it, and you're telling me selfishness and self-centeredness is my problem? And she said, oh, honey, 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 i got to tell you something. You've gone from sorrow to self-pity. And I didn't realize what I had done. And I was living at a level of self-pity that would probably take me back out. I've talked to people before when they said, yeah, I heard they, 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 you know, they lost their brother and they drank again. Who lost their brother and drank again? Because they weren't working in an AA program. I can promise you that. I have lived through that. So if I had drank, everybody would have said, because Joe died. 
Well, I wouldn't drink because I didn't know AA program. I had no safety net. For if an alcoholic fails to enlarge his spiritual life through work and self-sacrifice, brothers, he can't handle certain trials and those parts of it. Clear enough? Today, I'm like blown away by what the book tells me. I am so grateful that my sponsor keeps me in what I call the second surrender, this third step surrender. I misunderstood the third step. Charlie and I are going to do a workshop on it. Please don't miss it. It's tomorrow, the next day, or maybe even next week. I don't know. But <laughs> we may just move to Cincinnati. Uh, but, I mean, come to this workshop because it, it opened my eyes to something different. Be open. And this is to the person who is in pain. I'm not talking to the person who's got it and knows what I'm talking about. I'm talking about on page 25 where it says no middle-of-the-road solution will work. You can go on blotting out your intolerable situation the best you can or accept spiritual help. Please teach me the spiritual help because I don't know what it is. And my situation is intolerable. I am in tremendous pain. I guarantee there are so many people in here in tremendous pain. This self-centeredness, see, guys, I always thought it was about holding the door for somebody. Now, keep in mind, I'll hold the door for you, but you better say thank you. <laughs> I'm not asking too much. I'll let you in in traffic. I need one of these. Oh, yeah. You better give me one of those. I'm telling you guys, it's of my DNA. When people say, would you rather be right or happy, I want to be both. Stupid. <laughs> I can give you the right answer. But it says, I am a victim of my own delusion that I can rest, which means please by force satisfaction, that's right, and happiness, if I just manage you well. And it doesn't, you know, I'm a self-seeker even when I try to be kind where I set the ball rolling. I need all these things. Man, guys, I am, I am stark, raving, sober, and crazy out of my mind. I, I need more stuff sober than I ever did drinking. You can't blame it on the drink. Ask yourself these things. And then the book gives me the greatest promise of all. Our, promise, our, our troubles are of our own making. They are not of your making. That is a promise. Says I have moral and philosophical convictions before I can't live up to them. You know, I never was, uh, I was spanked as a kid, but I was never slapped as a child. And I, I believe in spanking. I, I, you know, I put them in a playpen. But I believe in spanking. And uh, I mean, I'll spank you at Disney World in the line. I'll throw those up by the arm and give it to you, you know? But I don't believe in slapping my kids, and I slap both my children in sobriety two different times. I slapped my son when he was 15, and I slapped my daughter when she was 12. No one was more shocked than I was. The book tells me I have moral and philosophical conditions I can't live up to. If I am not treating my alcoholism, I'm in trouble. I can't take it much more. And I'll tell you, the terms of the book say he provided what we needed. If we stay close to him and perform his work well, he'll take care of the job, the kids, the car, my health, everything. So i got to get close to him in order to stay close to him. And then I take care of his kids. I'm telling you guys, I speak to middle management. I speak to the guy with 35, 10, 15, 20 years sober that's not feeling what I'm talking about. There is a great deal of hope out there for you if you're the person that resonated with this story. I believe my pride is trying to protect me when it's really trying to kill me. If you're not in the book, 
please get in the book. And if you are, I'll see you on the fire line. Thank you very much. <laughs>